Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. I hope you are dancing in uh, whatever environment you are in. Um, I'm dancing in my studio this morning. Thank you, Paul Perot, for the new um, the new lead-in music and setting us up to walk You're as welcome. lions in the world today. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Um, so I'm going to lead off with my question of where in the Word are you today? I hope you have a Bible reading plan for this year, 2020. It's a new year. It's a great opportunity to commit to a Bible reading plan. Uh, as a follow-on to our reading the Gospel of Luke together in uh, in the season of Advent, there were 24 days in Advent this year, and so there were 24 chapters in the Gospel of Luke, and so, you know, that just seemed to work out nice. And so as a follow-on to that, I decided I'm just going to go ahead and read Acts. And so today I am in Acts chapter 3 since it's January the 3rd. So if you want to join me in my, um, I don't know, self self-designed Bible reading plan that started with Acts 3 because it was a follow-on to the Gospel of Luke, and they are uh, they are material that's designed to be read um, together. So join me. Join me in reading um, Acts. Uh, you know, start up and, and join me and jump in if you don't already have your own Bible reading plan. There are lots of Bible reading plans available online. Your church may uh, offer one. Um, my church does. Uh, and if you just Google Bible reading plans, there are many, many, many of them available. Uh, you can have them texted to your phone every day. You could have them sent to your email. You could um, simply, you know, have the discipline of turning the pages yourself in the actual Bible, like the physical one. I mean, the actual Bible is a Bible online and all those, but that's the physical one. I like the one with the pages that I can underline and put marginal notes in and those kinds of things. So, uh, where are you in the Word today? Why do I ask that? Because uh, how in the world do we expect to be in the conversations of the day in ways that honor Jesus? How, do, how in the world do we imagine that we are going to be able to walk our faith out um, into the world if we have not been in the Word? I just, just don't do it. Like, you're just, you won't be armored up. You, you won't be equipped. Um, you'll be, you know, you frankly be out there walking around um, in, in, unprepared to be an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven if you have not first been in the word of God. So let me just encourage you to be in the word before we get into the world. Now, let me then also say that um, the world is on fire, literally, in Australia. Let's be actively praying for rain, for God to send rain to Australia. Um, if you've If you've been watching any of the coverage there, you know that there are uh, lots of folks all over that uh, island continent desperately fleeing from fires that uh, at this point almost entirely encircle um, the continent. I mean, it's extraordinary. And so uh, let's be praying for rain, 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 rain. Now, we want rain to come in the right measure to douse the fires and not create the kinds of floods that are being experienced in Indonesia. So let's be lifting up folks there as well. 
And then a fire of a different kind now raging um, actively in the Middle East. You have already heard the news about the United States using a drone to kill Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. He was the head of Iran's Quds Force. It is a terrorist organization. He is responsible for the death of thousands um, of Americans serving in Iraq and in other places in the Middle East through Iran's uh, terrorist proxy organizations. The the Iranian president, uh, Hassan Rouhani, has already said that Iran and other, quote, freedom-seeking countries uh, will take revenge. The U.S. State Department has already ordered all American citizens out of Iraq by any means. Uh, They uh, are encouraging people to leave by air, if possible, on foot, if necessary. Uh, The warning is to not approach the U.S. embassy, um, which is, you know, the the, the central point of of hostilities over the last few days. So um, you're going to hear this described by some people as the beginning of World War III. I certainly hope that is not the case. I would guard against that kind of hyperbole. I also recognize the very volatile reality um, of the Middle East and the world, the very active worldview clash that this exposes. Um, this is not hostility that's going to be contained in in Iran and Iraq. Uh, we should expect Iran to respond through its terrorist proxies uh, to actively attack Americans and our allies wherever they believe we can be reached. And so this is a sober day. People, uh, as people of faith, as people of faith in Christ specifically, um, we need to be grieving today the death of a man who so openly rejected Jesus in this lifetime. We we recognize the brevity of time to share the good news of the gospel with those who do not yet believe uh, in the goodness of God and the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the the saving gospel. And so as evangelical Christians today, I hope that we are not dancing on anyone's grave. I hope that we are um, very sober and um, acknowledging the the deep need for a change of heart and a change of mind, and that comes by a change of faith. And so, let us be people today who are um, who are acknowledging that there is a man, actually two men, who are dead, um, whose family and friends and colleagues and nation are now grieving. And they are grieving not with the hope of Christ. They are grieving with a vengeful rage stoked by a prophet named Muhammad um, whose whose writings are contained in the Quran. Again, this is a sober day. We are people who grieve with hope because we are people who know Christ. And so let us make Christ known to others today. Next up, uh, Matthew Hawkins will be here. He's the former public policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church. He and I are going to talk about the reauthorization of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. We're also going to talk about an amicus brief filed just yesterday by hundreds of members of Congress asking the Supreme Court to reconsider Roe v. Wade. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Matthew Hawkins. You can follow him on Twitter at MTHawk. You can also listen to his podcast. It's called Crossing Faiths. That's with an S at the end. Um, and you can find right. him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Hey, welcome back, man. Thank you very Happy much New for Year. the plug. Thank you very much. Happy New Year, Carmen. Happy Good New Year. Good to hear from you. It's, 
it's uh these are exciting times and we don't live in boring times right blessed to live in we exciting do not times live in boring times yes yeah yeah this is okay, these, are, so, these are exciting times often often sober. not positively exciting goodness yeah. gracious yeah sobering times that's a good way to put it so I want to talk about the um, reauthorization of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. First of all, tell us yes. what that is and why it matters that this has been reauthorized by Congress. Sure. Well, back in the 90s, uh, we'll, we'll do a quick walk down through memory lane. Back in the late 90s, <clears throat> there was shockingly uh, <clears throat> very high, high uh, bipartisan agreement that the U.S. government had a particular unique role um, in in advancing international religious freedom. So uh, they conceived and passed a, a bill <clears throat> called the International Religious Freedom Act in 1998, uh, passed, uh, signed under Bill Clinton. And we're talking about uh, a Senate vote that agreed at like 98 to zero or 98 to two or something. That's that's the sense of uh, the uh, the agreement that you had in the, in the 90s on this particular issue. That legislation created two basic um, institutions. Number one, over at the State Department, it created the uh, ambassador at large for international religious freedom. So that was going to advocate for international religious freedom across the globe in the context of uh, State Department business and, and the world of diplomacy. And then outside, to kind of counterbalance that diplomatic responsibility, they created this commission, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Uh, we affectionately call it USERF for short. And uh, it, it basically is now, I think, I believe, uh, makes up uh, nine commissioners and is, ha has a handful of staff. And that staff and those commissioners basically are, they are under congressional oversight, but they're intended to be something of a watchdog uh, so that they can speak as a commission, as a pseudo-government uh, body, uh, more forcefully and more directly about religious freedom violations around the globe without the... Um, without the diplomatic um, factors that the State Department does. And so uh, you have these, when they're working well, um, those two groups uh, work in tandem. The current ambassador for inter at large for international religious freedom is Sam Brownback, former, former governor of Kansas, who many of our listeners will be familiar with. And then uh, these commissioners um, are, you know, they, they travel the globe, they do uh, fact you know, fact site, you know, fact trips around the globe. And then they, uh, at their best, uh, they're publishing op-eds, uh, hopefully together kind of from across, uh, party lines. And, uh, even at the staff level, uh, the commission is unique among government bodies and that the staff are all uh, nonpartisan. You don't have to opt in as a, uh, a Republican or a Democrat to be on staff, which is really common for most other government, uh, federal government commissions. Uh, so you need thing, but it has been embattled uh, off and on for a number of years, and uh, it only gets reauthorized every two or three years, depending upon what each authorization does. And usually because uh, you have the looming threat of uh, a, a shutdown of the commission, uh, legislators use that as leverage to try to um, amend how the commission functions. And so uh, that happened again this past fall. Uh, along with some other drama. But those are the basics. So um, I think that in terms of Christians knowing that we have, as a nation, we have a cadre of individuals who, on behalf of the United States of America, 
are advocating um, for religious liberty, religious freedom around the globe, particularly in places where religious minorities um, are not free. And so we just want to encourage people to be aware that this is something that uh, that our government um, is concerned about and actively engages around the world. One of the places where we are maybe, well, we're, we're concerned about so many places, but um, China is uh, seems to lead the list. And on many occasions, the Uyghur population mm-hmm. obviously continues to be, um, I guess the word is interred in, in concentration camps. Uh, we are now learning that yeah. uh, their, their cemeteries have been um, systematically destroyed. Uh, and and so, um, you know, and we now have concern about China imprisoning uh, a pastor there. I know that uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is concerned about that. Hey, we got to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, can we pivot and talk about this news that you and I both just received last night, which sure. is that hundreds of members of the U.S. Congress have filed uh, uh, amicus briefs, these legal briefs to the U.S. Supreme Court related to um, inviting them to reconsider Roe v. Wade. I'd love to talk about sure. that. All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Matt Hawkins, you can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. You can also find him on Twitter at MTHawk. Matt, this is kind of an exciting development yesterday. Uh, we have an amicus brief signed by several hundred members of Congress, 207, yes. I think. Um, first yeah. of all, remind us what, why we're revisiting Roe v. Wade um, <laughs> and, and what these um, signatories are advocating for in terms of what the Supreme Court should reconsider. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me let me also uh, on our last subject matter give a quick shout out um, on the USERF coverage on the International Religious Freedom Commission. Uh, World Magazine has uh, devoted um, uh, press coverage uh, and uh, re- reporter time to covering USERF. I think like unlike many other even mainstream outlets, uh, I know you're having Marvin Orlasky on later in the show, so I want to just give a plug for World Magazine's coverage of of the USERF drama. So if people want to uh, learn more, they can go there. Um, yeah. So the Supreme Court. Carmen, you're going to have a lot of radio time to talk about Supreme Court this uh, <laughs> this spring. Have you seen the lineup? We're going to, they're going to talk about not only abortion, but immigration and gun rights and uh, federal protection related to LGBT stuff. I mean, it's just going to be so much hey, fun. You, are, are you excited you're, so we're for the geeks. I know. I know. <laughs> like there are, there are people right now rolling their eyes. They're like, okay, Matt and Carmen are so excited about this. And so our job, Matt, is to get other people inspired uh, yeah, and excited yeah. that, first of all, first of all, we have a Supreme Court. That is willing to take up these conversations. And Mm -hmm. because of the current constituency of the Supreme Court, we as Christians have a higher level of confidence um, in terms of how these cases might be decided. And so, you know, this is elections matter and the election of the president matters because the the president gets to appoint justices to the Supreme Court. And we now have two justices that we didn't have under the last president. And so the willingness of the Supreme Court to take up. Uh, the conversation about revisiting Roe v. Wade, something that has not happened um, in 40 years, uh, th- it's yeah. it's critical. It's essential. So we have the Supreme right. Court willing to reconsider Roe v. Wade, and we have these lawmakers weighing in, um, asking them to do it. 
Yes. Well, we we hope we have a, a court that is willing to uh, take up uh, the precedent <laughs> laid down in Roe v. Wade. Uh, we certainly have a number of uh, American senators and uh, women and pardon me, men and women in Congress. My lips aren't functioning this morning. Uh, who who want them to redress it? So the background is, of course, uh, what most people know understand as shorthand is that Roe v. Wade. Uh, codified into American jurisprudence that uh, there is a right, quote unquote, uh, to abortion. Um, what came later, uh, around circa 90, was this case called Casey. And on the one hand, it doubled down on the rights language for abortion, but they introduced this concept called viability, and they uh, uh, also uh, basically allowed that states can regulate abortions uh, before a, a viability as long as the regulation, quote, does not put or does not put on place an undue burden on access to abortion. Um, so what we have seen is states, uh, particularly over the last year, uh, states have begun moving to uh, regulate abortion at the state level uh, with a lot more ferocity uh, than we've seen in recent years. There's some you know, political backstories this time of year that, that contributed to that. And so Texas, a number of years ago, filed this thing. We basically tried to establish uh, some standards of medical care for abortion uh, providers. Things like you have to have uh, access, you have to have credentials, uh, admitting privileges as a physician to a local hospital. Um, for example, my wife is a nurse practitioner and for many years, pardon my sniffles this morning, uh, she uh, worked for an uh, ear, nose, and throat clinic, and those surgeons had to have admitting privileges at the nearby hospital. Uh, that's kind of rudimentary, very basic kinds of things to be uh, a physician on in most in most of America on most uh, uh, specialties. Uh, a lot of abortion clinics are able to dodge those kinds of responsibilities, and so Texas tried to do it and was struck down, again, talking about uh, election-related uh, uh, things. It was struck down five to three. That's only an eight-vote thing. That was because it was after Scalia's death. But we now have added, since then, since that decision over, um, over the Texas law, we now have Gorsuch and Kavanaugh on the bench. So... This March, coming to a Supreme Court near you, Supreme, uh, they'll hear uh, June Medical Services LLC versus Gee, and this is the conflict over Louisiana, who passed a similar law, uh, and was it's basically been put on hold until abortion providers could uh, file suit. And so this uh, is a big deal because you now have, like you said, the amicus filed yesterday, uh, which is a friend of the court brief, basically me members of uh, Congress in particular, uh, in filing this amicus, uh, trying to encourage the court to say, look, this this landscape, this jurisprudence landscape that you you people have created or your predecessors created at law, at, Ro, uh, at Roe v. Wade and the Casey case uh, is really untenable. And you're going to continue to have these conflicts pop up um, at the state level until you guys uh, really revisit the key fundamental questions within those laws. The key fundamental question, I think, for all of us being um, what does it mean to be human and when does life begin? And so those are the, going to be the conversations that as Christians we need to be continuing to provoke and to have. And then we also need to be talking about the value of every, uh, every individual human life and that we are not the ones who make the decision about the value of a human being, that they have yeah. inherent value because they are 
image bearers of the living God. So, Matt, thank you so much, man. This is obviously going to be an ongoing conversation that we'll have throughout the year. Um, welcome to 2020 and help. Uh, thank you uh, today for helping us bring these these two stories into focus. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great weekend and happy it. new year again to everybody. Yeah, happy new year. All right. That's Matt Hawkins. You can follow him on Twitter at MT Hawk. We'll be right back. All right, so next up, we're going to be talking with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University about uh, what we're describing as theological triage. What does it look like to renew our focus on the gospel in 2020 and not focus on secondary issues? So this is going to be the challenge for Christians in the new year. Uh, it's, it's probably the challenge for Christians every day of every year. But how do we, um, how do we really center our thoughts on that which is Christian and Christ-like and God-honoring when all the world is attempting to get us to focus on secondary issues or lesser things. Um, and so I think that as uh, as we are digging around in this with Dan DeWitt, each one of us will have the opportunity to consider, well, particular issues and questions that sort of press us on the edge of what's authentically Christian. I, I think this is a real, this is, this is actually a real topic that each of us deals with every single day. Dan DeWitt, up next, here on Mornings with Carmen. It's the start of another school year, and for many parents, it's the start of fighting about grades. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Academic pursuits can cause tension in the home. It makes sense because grades are measurable. But the problem comes when parents confuse grades with personal value. If you want to push your teen to do better in school, start here. First, don't do the homework for your kids. And second, if you see grades drop suddenly, start looking behind the behavior for a cause. And third, recognize your own anxiety when it comes to education. What's your motivation for having high standards? Remember, a grade point average says nothing about the value of your teen. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. is joining me now from Cedarville University. You can find what Dan is writing and thinking about at theolatte.com. Uh, Theo, like God, thinking about God, and then latte like coffee. And he's already had some coffee today. So theolatte.com yes. is where you can uh, find the conversation, uh, the material for the conversation that Dan and I are talking about, uh, both in our leadoff, which is a new way of seeing theological triage, uh, but also uh, a way of linking up with the Weekend Worldview Reader, which we're going to talk about um, in just a minute as well. So, Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Okay, so not surprising to me that um, you are thinking about the conversations that we're having in the church and in the culture and as Christians engaging the culture, and that you are thinking through these things visually, because you mm -hmm. seem to like to draw pictures in addition to uh, the theological conversations of the day. Uh, so tell us, first of all, how this image of sort of sorting out what is essential to the Christian faith versus maybe the the non-essentials on which Christians can can disagree, 
um, the way that that has been sort of visually represented at one point and then how you are seeing it now? Well, um, I am a sketchy person, so I like to I like to sketch, I like to doodle, and I'm a visual learner, and I think I'm a visual teacher too. So I, I spend a lot of time at the dry erase board. So for me, um, a lasting impression will come from the way I'll kind of you know envision a concept. So uh, I first learned of theological triage from, of course, Dr. Muller at Southern Seminary, who's the one who came up with that. And he came up with that as a way to sift through massive theological issues he had to deal with, right, at Southern. And um, when he first became president, you had a number of professors who denied the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus and, and a vast array of theological issues. So I, the way I had always been taught the theological triage, which is essentially having um, triaging these issues, um, is in kind of a foundationalist perspective to where you have a foundation at the bottom, which are tier one issues, and then you'd have tier, um, or sorry, at the top, tier one, um, in the middle, tier two, and the bottom, tier three, and kind of like a pyramid. So envision a pyramid. And um, the number one issues are issues about the gospel, and we could get into you know more precise kind of unpack it. Um, but level two are issues related to church, and level three are issues of preference. And one of the problems I had as I was explaining that to students just a, like literally a month ago is that um, it implies that the lowest level, which are actually the least important level three, are somehow foundational to what's above it. So the way that I began illustrating it is with concentric circles. So um, because it's radio and it's hard for people to see what we're talking about unless we draw them pictures. Yes. in their minds. Let me, uh, let, let me describe this uh, to our listeners in a slightly different way. So um, first of all, triage is simply the, the process of, um, of assigning sort of degrees of urgency, that which is most important, that which we must deal with first. So if you think about a person arriving at an emergency room or a group of people arriving at an emergency room, what they are deciding is, who, what's the most urgent situation? What's the most urgent case? And then with each individual, what's the most urgent issue? And so when we talk about theological triage, we're talking about becoming very, very clear, crystal clear on that which matters most, those, those foundational issues, um, those, concerns, uh, those concerns of the faith without which we cannot describe ourselves as Christian. We are not Christians unless we... Um, unless we concede what God has revealed in, in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments about who he is, uh, about how he has created things to work, about the reality that we are fallen, about the reality of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, his sacrificial atoning death on the cross for our salvation, um, through which we have the opportunity, the possibility of redemption, of reconciliation with God, that we would that we would be restored to a right relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit, and then restored to a right relationship with ourselves, literally, you know, granted a right mind, and then the opportunity to be in a right relationship with, with others. Like when we talk about gospel worldview, when we talk about redemptive worldview, um, that's what we're talking about. And those things are essential. Uh, and so there are there are some parts of that that you just cannot concede if you are going to authentically be a Christian. Now, Dan and I could go through what must essentially be on that list. I think we're ultimately talking about whatever it is that the Apostle Paul considers the faith once yes. delivered. Yes. <laughs> the faith. What is the faith? So that is foundational. That is core. 
And so if you're going to use Dan's visualization here, he's talking about the core of something. And so when you talk about concentric circles, you're talking about, you know, that which is foundational to what we would consider the earth, the core, mm-hmm. that that which is at the center of it all. And actually, it's upon, it's upon the core that the rest of the earth revolves and moves. Um, and so when you think about concentric, this concentric circle image, you could actually think about the earth itself having a mm-hmm. core. And then there are these um, these ways in which we live and move um, further and further away from uh, from that in terms of how we walk that faith out in the world. And we walk that faith out um, through some things that maybe are non-essential in terms of our agreement. So the essentials are the core. And then the mm-hmm. non-essentials are things upon which we can disagree. And then sort of at the outer edge, you know, whether or not I walk it out um, uh, in the world um, always wearing a dress or not always wearing a dress, that seems to be like sort of at the preference level of uh, of life. Have I kind of described it uh, in terms of the way you see it? Absolutely. And, you know, this is one of those things where sometimes I've heard skeptics say, you know, Christians can't agree. You have all these different denominations, which is clearly true. I mean, you drive down the street. I used to live in Nashville. And, you know, um, uh, the street, the church I served at, we would, people referred to it as Church Row, you know, because you would just— Because it was probably you know, on Old Hickory Boulevard. <laughs> yes. And so people would give directions in terms of, you know, go down five steeples and take a right and go down three steeples, you know. Um but so it's true that we, we differ on how we worship and we differ on secondary issues. But at the heart of Christianity, Christians have agreed for 2000 years about what Orthodox faith is. And so one of the things that is so helpful with theological triage is to say, you know, we can unite together and be together for the gospel. And we don't have to call into question our orthodoxy just because, which are right beliefs, rightly ordered beliefs, um, just because we differ over secondary issues. And which I think is a real problem um, with social media today, that you have people that will take issues that are not at the core and then make that the litmus test um, for orthodoxy, when really we have defined for 2,000 years and communicated um, in the creeds that the church has held dear to its heart um, throughout our history, um, the essentials of Christian doctrine. So we actually have an objective basis to say, is someone walking in terms of true Christianity or not? And let's keep the main thing, the main thing. So I'll say one last thing about the concentric circles. Um, If you drop a pebble in a pond, that initial splash will be the strongest, and then it'll begin to ripple out, and you'll have those concentric circles. And I think that in a lot of ways, it, it's that's a good example of the gospel. At the heart of Christianity is the gospel. That's the most powerful. As the concentric circles broaden out, they get bigger, but they also diminish in strength. And so we're going to have you know bigger areas that we might differ on, but the, the, where the power is actually found, as the Apostle Paul says, is in the gospel. And of the gospel, we should never be ashamed. So some of this grew out of a conversation that you had with a student who is uh, going to be headed to a secular university in order um, to pursue a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I appreciated that, you know, you're walking, you're walking around this subject matter with this individual because it is, it is essential that we know not only what we believe, but how those beliefs not only affect our own behaviors, but, you know, how we're going to engage others in terms of what we believe and what they believe. And so in in my own experience, having gone to a very secular university and to a seminary that I would also say was populated by a lot of people who did not share the core convictions of the Christian faith, um, 
recognizing that their pebble is in a different place mm-hmm. and that they have like dropped their pebble in a different place and that their concentric circles that, that come out of that at some point intersect with mine. And it's mm-hmm. at that point of intersection that I can find a common ground consideration for a starting place of conversation. And that's what I would encourage you um, in terms of, of, of how to help that student prepare for that secular mm-hmm. experience. There, there will be these points where their, their pebble that they dropped, which is in the wrong place in terms of worldview, but does create um, somewhere out here in the ripple zone a, a place of intersection with my ripple zone. Hmm. And that's the place where the conversation can start um, mm-hmm. in terms of – and then we talk about how we got there because we got the different – so anyway, that would be my encouragement. That's great. Yeah, I love that. I'll use that. Please. That's, that's, you mm-hmm. know, that's why we do this conversationally, right? All right, Dan DeWitt and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We're actually going to take a look at what's on his weekend worldview reader, which I will tell you is um, is robust this week. So uh, talking with Dan DeWitt, you can find what we're talking about at Theolatte.com. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dan DeWitt, he um, he does all kinds of things at Cedarville University, and this weekend he's actually um, preaching at a church. I see that you're preaching this weekend. So I am. I'm you? preaching. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm preaching at a church plant not far from here, and it's a church plant that has started other churches in the area and just a great gospel outpost, so I'm looking forward to it. So the church planting um, it, it was a good, I think, stepping off point for the conversation that we just had, because the the reality is that the gospel is being extended to more and more people um, as we walk the faith out into the world and intersect with people who either al- either already know Christ but are disconnected from the church or don't know Christ and as they become connected to Christ need a church. And so mm-hmm. I just um, it's exciting. It's always exciting that God is moving in the hearts of Christians to plant new congregations. Um, even as there are many, many churches, um, you know, that I'm aware of where, you know, as they listen to us talk about maybe church planting, they're saying, well, why don't those Christians just come to our church because we need people? And that's sort of the, uh, you know, kind of the wrong way to think about it, right? We mm-hmm. we ought to be extending the gospel to people who are yet unreached or moving the gospel um, through the vehicle of the church out into the world where it comes into contact uh, with more and more people. So, just appreciating that you're doing that this this weekend as well. All right, the weekend worldview reader. Um, so you do this every week. You aggregate uh, a list of things that we could le- we could read, or we could listen to, or we could watch. Um, and so let's just talk about what's uh, on the list this week. That kind of maybe I don't know is is let's do the six tip tips for sharing the gospel with skeptics. Why is that on your list? Um, that that is and. <laughs> an article I wrote a long time ago that was really born out of this very thing. What does it look like to be in um, a long-term friendship and friendships with people who are far from Jesus, people who might feel disenfranchised for one reason or another? And how do you talk about Jesus in a way that one is kind, winsome, faithful, to get back to, you know, the concentric circles, um, but that also 
is is navigating their questions. And so that's on there. Um, the Gospel Coalition took that article from a long time ago and and repurposed it um, here in recent history. And I hope it's a helpful way. That's really just born out of this is what I've learned as I've tried to share coffee and share Jesus with people who don't share my worldview convictions. All right. And then we have a long list this week of articles uh, to read. Why don't you highlight a couple of them for um, for our listeners? Well, I am. Um, some of the other articles that I have, and I think we're looking at now the one that I published at the end of last week. Oh, am I not? I am looking at the Weekend Worldview Reader, and I will admit to you, I, I may—I—I I, am I not looking at today's? Maybe I'm not. See? So I, I am ahead of you, Carmen, because in anticipation for today, I published it <laughs> early. And so I'll tell you some of the ones that are fresh on Great, the website. thank you. Yeah. Um, so I have— one article that's called that I wrote called "More Gospel, Less Trolls" in 2020, Ooh. which is really about what we just talked about. It's keeping the gospel the center of our conversations online and our witness, and not taking secondary or tertiary, you know, further removed issues and making that somehow the standard for what it means to be a true Christian. In terms of articles by other people, I have a Pew Research Center article: Ten Facts About Atheists which I think is really interesting. And this goes back to the conversation I had with the student um, in terms of the student that I wrote the article about the concentric circles for is he was looking at going to a secular university to kind of prepare him for what are some of the ways that your worldview is very, very different from people you'll be around? Um, how can you talk to them about these things? And this article shares what are some interesting um, features uh, with atheists in North America. And one of them is that often atheists score as well or better um, on test about the Christian faith. And so that's on there. I have um, an article that Ireland has passed into law that they're removing their blasphemy law. So that's now been removed. And I have a link to an older article, which is um, why Ireland should get rid of their blasphemy law. So that's on there. And a number of other things I'm happy to talk about. Well, it is, uh, so this list is as robust as last week, and I'm obviously a week behind, which will not surprise anyone who's listening because they know that I disappeared for a week. And obviously, I, I, you know, I'm I'm literally a week behind, Dan. So I'm going to have to spend some time reading this weekend. Um, well, that's what is. <laughs> so I well I appreciated. Um, so I am one of those people who points to abortion as the leading cause of death, even though the CDC never lists it that way. Um, but I, so I appreciate that that on here you have an article um, by Adam Ford. Abortion was the leading cause of death in 2019 with 42 mm -hmm. million killed. Talk, talk about that sort of staggering conversation starter. Yeah. And this is at the heart of what you know. I heard you mention to, to Matthew earlier. You know, it, for a Christian, we define what it means to be human as being created in the image of God. And we believe, therefore, that life should be protected um, from the moment of conception until the moment of natural death. And for those reasons, to be human um, is means that we have to protect the life that's in the womb. And so to take the life from the womb is actually murder. And that's why we would call it, and that's why this article calls it the leading cause of death, and goes on to say that 42 million are killed. Um, and so, but Christians have to talk about this issue in a gracious way, because we've thought through often, we've thought through our worldview ramifications for this more than others have. And sometimes we could just give the sound bites 
of you know the abortion discussion from a Christian perspective in a way that's harmful. And I'll share one really quick anecdote. I preached on this, and I remember after I was done preaching on um, an issue related to abortion, there was a young lady who was just weeping with her husband, and I assumed she wanted to talk. It was because she had had an abortion. That wasn't it at all. She was weeping because she had never heard so many men in the church, amen, a sermon. Mm. And she said, you know, where are they when it comes to helping mothers who have children out of wedlock? Where are they when it comes to foster care and adoption care? And it was a great reminder for me that we need to be careful in how we talk about this issue. Okay, I'm surprised. And if I haven't found it on the list and it's on there, forgive me. I'm surprised that Chuck Todd's uh, reference on television to the fact that those of us who would believe in 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 something as silly as Noah's Ark believe in fairy tales, um, and then that the Ark Encounter has responded by offering at the Creation Museum free admission for this whole year for every kid ten and under. So there you that go. That is awesome, and that will be. I know, a, and uh, right. And and I'll put a shout out to Carmen next to it. In Carmen wants people to go to the Ark Encounter because <laughs> it is so cool. And it's close to us too. It's like I know. I know. Yeah. You could like go visit. You could visit Cedarville as like a as a twofer. There you go. <laughs> All right. Hey, Dan, we'll talk with you next week. Thank you so much. Uh, that's Dan DeWitt. You can find him at theolatte.com. We'll be right back. Thanks, Carmen. Okay, so I think that you can probably uh, tell this morning that um, I'm a little geeked out and uh, in terms of the reading that I think we ought to all be doing in this new year. Let's start with the Bible. Let me, let's remind each and every one of us to have a Bible reading plan. Where in the Word are you today? I'm in Acts chapter 3. Let me know where you are. You can always text me uh, during the show, 877-933-2484. We'll be back with another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.